Welcome to Live Healthy, Be Healthy with Drs. Jim and Janine Fox of Doctors Nutrition. We continue our journey to better health through proper nutrition, supplementation, and knowledge. And now, here are Drs. Fox and Live Healthy, Be Healthy. Hello and welcome to Live Healthy, Be Healthy. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim Fox. And I'm Dr. Janine Fox. And today in this podcast, I think you're going to have something that actually it affects all of us, Janine. And I think it's going to be something they're very interested in. That's the problem with the Alzheimer's and the dementia. Right. We're talking about prevention. So everybody right. out there should listen because most people know of somebody with dementia or Alzheimer's or even someone in the family. Yeah. So what you want, you don't want to wait until you get it. The whole point is you want prevention. You know, the thing, and let's talk about that for just a second. You know, once you get something like Alzheimer's or even some of the senile dementias, they are very, very hard to turn around and reverse. Right. You may be able to slow them down, and we're going to talk about that, but... You're not going to just go back to 100% normal after they're already there. No. So, a lot, you know, there's things that can help and definitely things that can make it a little bit better. But you're mm-hmm. not just going to have 100% reversal most of the cases. So, based on that, prevention is the number one thing. Right. So, yeah. all you people out there, that's what we're really talking about today is prevention and what you can do not to have this later in life. Exactly. It's all about keeping your brain intact all the way through your life. And not just intact, but well, it, functional. But, but keep it from shrinking because we're going to talk right. about how brain shrinkage is actually part of all this. Yes, we are. Yeah. So now first thing we want to talk about is Alzheimer's and dementia. They're not the exact same thing. No. Um, a lot of people we hear what we see on a lot of people that come in is they've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And in most cases, it's not Alzheimer's. It's some form. Of it dementia. is actually right. It's some form of dementia. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference. Um, a lot of times in the Alzheimer's patients, they truly, it, Alzheimer's is way worse than just senile dementia. Oh, yeah. It is one where the people even get to where they don't even know their family members. Correct. They don't know who they are. They mm-hmm. don't know what they've just done. They don't know. I mean, it's, it's a severe, I would say it's much more severe than senile dementia. Yeah. Now, senile dementia can get bad as well, and it can get worse, but... Over the years, we've seen people, and if they know who everybody in their family is, they who know who everybody, they never forget that. It's probably not Alzheimer's. Now, no, they typically have very good long-term memory. Right. And they typically just can't remember where they Short put their term. keys this morning. Right, or exactly. Or, or don't know that right. they actually yeah. started cooking and left right. the stove on or right. things like that. And that's one of the things that gets dangerous is that they do start doing things that can actually, if you forget your cooking... Right. And you start a fire, then that's really dangerous for everybody in the Not house. Not very good, right. Right. So, and that's more dementia. Right. And when you, when I have people that come in that their parents are in their 80s and 90s, and they said, oh, well, they have Alzheimer's now. Well, when did, were they diagnosed? Oh, this year. I was like, it's probably not Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's normally is a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that late. That late is senile dementia. That's true. And, and a lot of times, like I say, even for the, for the true Alzheimer's, uh, they're seeing it in, you know, as early as the 40s and so on. So, right. But some of the know. things that you can do for prevention are the same. Very much. Um, actually, you can probably, you know, a lot of the Alzheimer's, there's definitely, there is a family link to it. There mm-hmm. is actually the APOE 
four genotype that they know are more predisposed to it. Predisposed. But there's a lot of things that predispose you to it. Um, And it's more about, like we've talked about before, you have your genetics and then you have your epigenetics. Exactly. So if you change your epigenetics, you can change what comes in the future. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about is things that you can change. And so we really are talking about preventing both when we're talking about this. Mm -hmm. But we did want to kind of mention at first, we do know that there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference. And when it happens in the 40s, 50s, and even 60s, it's probably, you know, that's more likely to be like Alzheimer's. Right. Um, because it, senile dementia means when you get older. Senile. Right. Senile. I mean, it's actually when you start getting older, mm-hmm. you have dementia. A lot of the senile dementia that we've seen is associated with small strokes. Yeah. And, and a lot of times these folks, sometimes they'll have just the, what everybody calls the TIA. <laughs> And, you know, a TIA is not necessarily benign. It, it can have some long-term consequences. So, you know, that's something that, you know, you need to pay attention to. And, you know, that's a, a red flag that's going off. If you're having, or if your parents or somebody that you know has had a TIA, that's a warning sign. It is. And yeah. so if you have, if you've had one yourself mm-hmm. or someone in your family has, that's another thing that you want to do something for prevention for. Right. Now, we, we mentioned the genetic aspect of this, you know, the APOE4 and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, if the, and then we kind of talked about epigenetics, and probably a lot of folks don't understand what epigenetics is all about. We have our genes, and that's our genetics, and those genes are, if you will, they're hardwired. The epigenetics is sort of like some software changes that you can make, um, and it's based on things that, you know, for instance, epigenetics takes in, like, who you are, where you live, who you live with, what you eat, what you drink, consume, where you work. Your environment. Environment. I mean, you name it. Air quality. Air quality, water quality, food quality. All that plays into that epigenetics. So, you know, you can have, and and they've done some quite nice studies about this in the past, and taking identical twins that grow up and then diverge and go, you know, one goes to California and one goes to, you know, wherever. And they find that, you know, due to the epigenetics, you know, these, these folks develop totally different outcomes in other words right with the same exact genetics same exact i mean we're talking about identical twins you know same exact genes but the epigenetics is totally different Yeah, so we don't want people to think out there oh well it's in my genetics i'm going to get it no matter what you can change things and that's what we're going to talk about today yeah the big part of it's going to be that epigenetic factor right? right now there's there's actually two real biggies in prevention of the alzheimer's and dementia what's that and one is diet Ooh, diet is probably the biggest it is. It's one of the biggest things. Mm-hmm. And what they've actually, they're actually calling Alzheimer's now type 3 diabetes. Yeah, you know, and that, that's kind of a, you know, a term that you don't hear much. I mean, you talk about diabetes and diabetes to type 2. And like I say, they're actually looking at, uh, you know, a blood sugar handling problem. And especially in the brain, actually setting up the precursors and so on for the amyloid placking, which right. is typical for Alzheimer's. And they're actually calling it type 3 diabetes right so of course in diet changes one of the things you absolutely want to do is eliminate sugar mm-hmm. um, people eat too much sugar if you listen to a lot of our other podcasts we talk about that right. a lot because we have diabetes on the rise we have obesity on the rise we have you know the sugar is killing everyone yeah you know it, it, when you look at the statistics on that and you know they're the devils in the details go back to you know say 100 years ago and the average american consumed you know five six pounds of sugar per year now it's, you know, depending on who you go to, I mean, the statistics are varied, but I've seen it as high as 165 pounds. Yeah, 150, uh, 160, 150, 160, usually around uh, there somewhere. In that neighborhood. Now think about that. You pounds know, per year. Per year. You know, take your grocery cart to the shopping center next time 
and start putting 150 pounds of sugar, 10-pound bags. That would be 15 of them, right? Right. Okay. Put 15 10-pound bags of sugar in your shopping cart and look at that for just a moment. Just step back, take a nice, hard look at that. And think about it. That's what the average person in America is consuming a year. Now, some people consume a whole lot more than that. Right. That's some the people, average well, that's people. the average. So some people right. less, some people more. Now, we would be on the very, <laughs> look, we'd be on the very bottom end. Yeah. Like, um, for instance, there is no sugar in our home. Well, no, we don't, or things that turn to sugar. We, right. we really are pretty strict on the eating a lower glycemic diet. Exactly. And we also, another thing is the, the, the carbs. Um, a lot of the carbs, and there's a lot of new research coming out on gluten mm. and how gluten also damages the brain. There's yeah. a really um, good book called Grain Brain. Yeah, you know, it's written by a guy that, that we've known for years and years and followed his work and, and worked with him in, on some patients and sent patients to him. He's yes. a neurologist out of Tampa, Dr. Pearl, Perlmutter. Yeah, uh, David Perlmutter. Great guy, uh, super fellow. He's part of our group at the uh, American College of Nutrition and just has some phenomenal work on there about how gluten really does make a wreck out of our bodies, especially our brain. Especially our brain. So mm-hmm. when we talk about, you know, everybody thinks of gluten as just being the people with celiac. It's not. If you are predisposed to dementia or Alzheimer's, it's a good idea to get it out of your diet. Yes. It's a good idea, we believe, to get all your grains out, not just the gluten, because, of course, his book is called Grain Brain, and it talks about how all the grains actually affect the brain. Right. And so many of the grains actually turn to sugar. So, again, that actually goes back to the sugar thing as well. And when you talk about grains, now, you know, I find it totally fascinating. You know, Janine, we, we deal with people every day. You know, our, they don't our know patients. what a grain is. No, they have no idea. <clears throat> you know, they look at, they think corn's a vegetable. Okay, that, there you go. So, you know, when you think about things like wheat and corn and soy and barley and rice, all those things are grains that people typically consume on a large lot. quantities every day in yeah, America. because they tend especially. to be a cheap filler. It's cheap. Well, it's cheap food. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's a cheap filler, and a lot of people do it, and they think that they're doing okay by doing it. And even if you eat, okay, I have people say, well, the grains I eat are organic. Well, that Doesn't still don't matter because yeah. they still they still act the same way. I mean, yes, they're better. They don't have the pesticides, and they may not be genetically modified, which is better. Which is um, better. But it's better not to do any. Yeah, you know, when you look at those things and you and you look at the amount of uh, grains that people eat on a daily basis, that's, you know, things like breads, rice, pastas, even things like cereals. I mean, breakfast cereals. Lots of cereal. Oh, my God. I don't know Everybody's how many people cereal. say they eat cereal every night for dinner and they eat cereal for breakfast. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's all you're getting is the grains. And they're not getting Sugar. any good quality nutrition because, I mean, almost all your cereals are, are packaged processed foods. And so, you know, you think about it, they've had a lot of the nutrition taken out of it. So it's not even a good nutrition grain. It is actually a packaged processed grain, which is the worst one you can do. It's junk any way you look right. at it. So, and, you know, so that, that's kind of one of the things that you have to do. There's a lot of research out there on how grains affects the brain. Like mm-hmm. I said, get that book, Grain Brain, read mm-hmm. it, see what it does to your brain. Also, just the sugar itself. Yes. Not just the grains, but also sugars. Now, what you really want to do, you know, one of the things that's been shown food-wise to really help the brain is fish. Fish is good. Good, good quality. We're talking about fatty fish Yeah, now. fatty fish. Yeah. Good quality fatty fish mm-hmm. like salmon. Salmon. Um, mm-hmm. The omega-3s. There is so much research out there about omega-3 fish oil actually helping reverse some of the plaquing in the brain and helping with some of the dementia. Right. You know, when you look at, at our brain. Idiot. You know, if somebody calls you a fathead, they're right, because basically our brain is mostly fat. And when you look at, at the makeup of that fat, 
the omega-3, and it's a specific omega-3 called DHA, docosafexanoic acid. DHA, and you get that from fish oil. You don't get it from flax. You get it from fish oil. And when you look at that DHA, there's 25% of your brain right there in that one type of good fat. Right. So definitely, we always recommend, most people are not going to eat fish daily. So we do recommend supplementing your fish oil daily. And in addition, eat some of it as well. Right. Um, So your good fatty fish avocado is a really good food. Because when it comes to the brain, fat is what the brain needs. It's what it has to And so one of the problems that we see are people that's getting their cholesterol lowered to nothing. And if you're taking the statin drugs and you have no cholesterol, then you're actually going to affect brain as well. Actually, there's a lot of research out there showing that, you know, that people with, you know, when they get their cholesterol too low, you know, the brain is one of the first things that goes. Yeah. Your brain function is one of the first things that goes. Because, you know, we hear a lot of people say, well, well, I've got to have glucose or sugar for my brain. Actually, your brain would rather have ketone bodies, which come from fats. It is much better, much more able to metabolize those fats than it is the sugars. It uses sugar because, hey, that's the only thing you got because you've eaten what? Bread and rice and pasta and cereals and, you know, right. et, et, et cetera. In this low-fat, high-carbohydrate oh, diet God. that the that the, the Americans are on is really affecting the brain because yeah. everybody has gotten off of fat. They yes. thought all fat's bad. Well, that's not true. Um, you do want good fat. You don't want cottonseed oil and soybean oil and the genetically modified yeah. oils like corn canola oils. and corn oil yeah. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But you do need the nuts and the seeds and the fish oils and you know, the avocado, I mean, people, you know, oh, avocado has fat. You don't want to eat that. No, avocado has a really good fat. So you want to eat, you do want to eat that. Yeah. And avocado has, you know, for those of you out there that are looking for fiber, actually, avocado's got a tremendously good fiber in it. And too. actually, it's your highest potassium food as well. Yeah, it sure is. So it's not even just, people think of bananas as potassium, although that increases the sugar. Now, you do want more colored vegetables. Right. I mean, the, the the darker the color, the better. So your dark greens and things that are bright red. And I mean, even some of the fruit. Now, you don't want to overdo fruit. No. But if you're not diabetic and you're not insulin resistant, you can do some. And you want to do the ones that are really bright colors. Right. And, you know, f- stop for just a second. And let's talk about that insulin resistance thing. You know, I think we've, if you read or listen to some of our other podcasts and so on, you realize that we've talked about insulin resistance. A lot. Now, how do you find out if you're insulin resistant? You do the blood work to find out. You right. have to have your fasting blood sugar. You have to have your um, hemoglobin A1C, which gives you 90 days worth of sugar to look at. And you need your fasting insulin. That's going to tell you if you're insulin resistant. Right. And if you are, then you're going to have to stay away from even the fruit. Even and that the fruit. that just freaks so, everybody out. Right. It just depends on... It, it, we're not saying all fruit because fruit... That's another area that people are kind of like, don't right. really understand what's a fruit and what's a vegetable. Well, there's sweet fruits and there's other there's fruits. There's sweet fruits and there's regular fruits. Now, tomatoes are a fruit. You can eat right. those. Those are not the highest sugar fruit. Well, for instance, a squash a, is, a t- right. is a fruit as but, well. Uh, the fruit is a, a type of uh, fruit, or a type of vegetation that has its seeds on the inside of a, a pod. Like, for instance, a squash. If you cut a squash, you see that, you know, the fleshy thing on the outside. And then you inside there is a whole bunch of seeds. Cucumber, for instance. That's, Cucumber that's a fruit. is a fruit. Tomatoes. Tomatoes are a fruit. fruit. And all those are okay. So we're now, not saying don't eat fruit. fruit. We're saying sweet fruit. Sweet fruits. That's Fr- you know, Sweet fruits. But you know what? When you say fruit in, in America, I don't know about anywhere else, but in America, if you say fruit, 
people think about bananas and oranges and, and grapes, grapes and, and, you know, they think about all the sweet fruits. And those are fruits also, but they're they the sweet are. fruits. And those are the ones you don't want too much of. Right. You want the fruits that aren't real sweet. And your vegetables are more like your broccoli and cauliflower and greens and you know, those are more vegetables. And even things like your your peppers and your, you know, your yep. bell peppers. You know, you can and get onions. red onions. Uh, you get red and, and green and yellow <laughs> and all the various colors. You know, it, it needs to look like a, a colored, you know, conglomeration right. when the you The more eat, different you know. colors on your plate, the better. Right, the better you are. Yeah, so color is always good for the brain because you're getting lots of antioxidants, right. lots of flavonoids. So that actually does help. So, right. okay, we've talked about what you can do diet wise now the second biggest thing is exercise yeah there has been many 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 studies on how exercise definitely can help with preventing brain shrinkage you know and when we're talking about exercise now we're not talking about joining some crossfit gym or something okay we're talking about getting out and walking yeah we're not talking about something simple that anybody can do Mm -hmm. um we're not talking about you know yeah if you do crossfit well you're really getting your exercise you're really really doing it so that's actually not not a bad thing either because they are getting exercise you can do it right but yeah a lot of people can't do that a lot of people just don't have the body to do it they can't start out that way but walking Right. They have shown that simple walking, um, three hours a week, three to four hours a week, yeah, actually but, can make a big difference in brain function. Yeah, starting out slow with walking. I mean, if you've been a couch potato for years and years, for decades, you know, then you want to start out slow. So walking is the absolute best thing to do. And if you know, if you can only walk for ten or fifteen minutes, start out slow. Yeah, start slow. You, yeah. Then work your way up to where you're doing, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And you get up to where you can get out and walk for, say, an hour. It'll do a couple of things for you. One, it'll, it'll open up your mind because you'll get outside. You get to see things. You get to see nature. Um, you know, you get to smell, fr- hopefully, fresh air. Uh, you know, you get to see a lot of things differently than just, you know, sitting on your couch watching, you know, the evening news or something. And it'll do your brain good. Like, like you said, there's a lot of research that shows that just simple exercise, like walking, is is great for the brain development yes and something else about this there you know when we were in school and when i was in school it was a long long time ago and far far away but back then they told us that we are we have a certain number of brain cells and we'll, once they're gone you'll never ever ever get them back and they and find out that's, that's false oh yeah that's false you can actually make new brain cells yes and they've showed that exercise can actually do that. Yeah, they've actually shown where people that can do MRIs of the brain mm-hmm. show that the, there's already shrinkage. Mm-hmm. And after so much exercise over a long period of time, it's not going to happen in a week. You can't mm-hmm. go exercise for a week and expect everything to change. Um, over a period of time, they show that that brain has actually gotten bigger again. Yeah. So you can affect brain shrinkage now, and you can help it. And another type of exercise you need to do is, is mind. Mental. Right, exactly. Yes. That's what we were going to talk yes. about next is not just physical exercise. Mental. But mental, if people stop using their brain, you always hear if you if you I mean, don't use it, you'll lose it. That's, That's true. Right. Brain's Especially on the brain. One, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to do things like, you know, I don't know, crossword puzzles. A lot of people like to do that. I, I don't. But, you know, read, you know, forget, yeah, you know, go to the go to the local bookstore and 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 pick up a book on something that, you know just walk through and let a book jump out at you you know sometimes you walk through it down a, a, an aisle at the bookstore and a, and a title or something just kind of jumps off the shelf at you pick it up and read it it might be something totally different for you maybe take up a new hobby right maybe, do something yeah do something that you have to figure out I right. mean, something that you have to use your brain to know how to do. Exactly. Not something that you've always done and you know how to do it. If it's something that's so automatic that you don't have to think about it, well, then it's probably not going to help your brain. No. 
So if you know everything about it, well, you want to do something new. So using the brain makes a huge difference. And so exercise, both physical and mental exercise, is essential for brain health. And if you just sit there and watch TV, that isn't using your brain very well. No, not very well. Changing channels is not exercise. No, it's not. Um, that's so that's sure. one thing, you know. So you, you know, you definitely don't be a couch potato. Don't. And we're not saying you can't ever watch TV because you can. No, it's. But just, you got to do when you're not watching TV. You need to be doing other things to keep your brain active, and you need to be doing stuff to keep your body active. Now everybody needs relaxation occasionally in downtime where you don't have to think. Um, I know we really like our downtime because all day we're thinking and dealing with patients and dealing (laughs) with new conditions and dealing with, at the end of the day, okay, we've had enough. So, But what's really interesting, a lot of times in the evening, like she's talking about, or even in the mornings, we get up or we we come home from work and we do not turn on the TV. No, we don't. You know, the last thing we do at night is going to be turning on TV (laughs) because we want to wind down. We want to talk. You know, she and I like to... We, we'll to, talk, and it's we'll, almost our meditation time, it, I guess is. you would say. Yeah. Um, even though we're talking to each other, and but we're, we're kind of winding down. Right. And I've even had people come to our house, and it's 630, and we have the lights off and the TV off, and they're like, it's dark in here. What are y'all doing? <laughs> we're sitting in the dark. We're regrouping. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what we do at the end of the day, especially right. when we work. So exactly. you got to have some sort of meditation time too, because you have to, you have to be able to unwind because the next thing that it's not necessarily something you can do for, well, it is something you can do for prevention, but it's something that causes, they know brain problems and that is stress. Yes. And, str- and let's face it, you know, we live in a stress. We all world. have stress. You know, and, and if you turn on TV and watch the news, you're going to find out, you know, the more stress that you're actually being exposed to. We don't need that. You know, you know we need to go out and sit and watch the flowers grow. Right. Uh, or sit on a creek bank and, and watch the water run down through the creek. Because we've had and, whole shows on how damaging the cortisol is to the body, which is your right. stress hormone. And, and when that stress hormone's up, it actually elevates your sugar, and that damages the brain, and it damages the, the arteries. And, I mean, you start getting into all kind of other problems. And so stress definitely... It increases blood pressure and increased mm-hmm. blood pressure increases risk of stroke. I mean, there's so many things that it does. So unwinding from that stress is very, big is very important. So we, we want to say be mentally and active, but also you have to learn to relax as right. well. And maybe a new hobby would get something, you know, that take your mind off the day's uh, thing, you know, uh, today's stresses and so on. You know, that's why I, I'm a big advocate of picking up a new hobby. I'll yeah, probably, you have I'll a probably, thousand. <laughs> I probably got two. All right, yeah, I know, I know. I got too many, but what the heck, right? Um, I mean, I, I've, got, I've got a lot of different interests and so on, but it keeps my brain from going sour, I guess. Right. You know, I, I suppose. Anyhow, so anyway, uh, so we've talked yeah. about diet changes, mm-hmm. lowering the sugar and the carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. We've talked about importance of exercise, physical mm-hmm. and mental, reducing your stress. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few other factors that people need to know in blood work in order to keep their brain healthy. You know, one thing that, that we know as we mature, I don't like the O word, uh, as we get old. Okay, hate that. But anyhow, as we mature, the older we get, and I hate to use that term, but the older we get, it's a fact of life. If you live long enough, you're going to get older, right? Right. Um, so as we mature, one of the things that happens to us is, is we our brain gets less and less B12. Right. We get less in our diet. Perhaps we quit eating foods that that might contain well, more of the B12. Well, a lot of people stop eating as much meat, and that's where right. a lot of the B12 comes from. Maybe the choppers aren't working quite as well as they should, so right. they don't chew as well. So they say, "Well, I'll, I'll forego that." Uh, there's one thing, but B12 that we know this for a fact. I mean, the research is showing us that as we age, 
we're having less and less B12 in our brain. Right. B12 and is very important to that brain. It is. Now, we've even ta- seen in a podcast um, recent, within mm-hmm. the last few months, mm-hmm. we talked about a new study that showed that sh- even low normal B12 tends to be linked with brain shrinkage. Right. And, you know, every day almost in our business, we have people who bring in their lab work. And maybe if there were little lucky ones, you know, they some doc is out there has actually checked their B12 level. And most have not. Most have not. But some but have. Some have. And the thing about it that always fascinates me, the range for B12 currently runs from like 211 to 938 or 958 or something like that. So it's huge. I mean, you could drive a Mack truck through it, okay? Now, we find people come in and their their B12 is 225. And the doctor says it's oh, okay. You're fine. You're fine. Now, the medical books, when we were in school, and my, it was a while back when I was in school also, but, <laughs> yeah, and even the books now, I see some some of the same, and even our lab used to until about three or four years ago, there was a comment. The range of the B12 was like the 211 to the mm-hmm. right, right around 950. Mm-hmm. And underneath that, it actually had a comment on the lab work that said, although this is the medical range for B12, it is thought that all B12 under 400 is still deficient. And, and they're actually seeing that and, now. And it used to say that. Right. It yeah. used to say that on the actual lab test. They removed that comment. Right. But we still tell people, there's no doubt, all the medical books, all the research, it actually shows that if you're under 400, you're definitely still deficient. Yeah. Now, still, if you're 411, you're still on what they consider to be the low end of normal. Right. And, you know, we, we stress to our people, I, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll put them on a B12 supplement and we retest their B12 and it actually is flagged as high. And I say, okay, that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, you want it to be high. You don't want it to be low. Right. And that's if there's ever one thing on your, your test that you don't want to be low, it's, it's going to be B12. And that makes a huge difference in brain. Right. Now, another thing that B12 definitely affects is homocysteine. Now, there's other right. things that affect it, too. But there is even a study that just came out on the 24th of June, which was recent. Right. right. That's pretty recent. About the causative agent of high homocysteine and Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And so they do know that high homocysteine definitely causes, actually, maybe even the truly Alzheimer's, not just dementia, but it can also make dementia as well, because well, I've sure seen a lot can, of that yeah. over the years as mm-hmm. well. But homocysteine is something that you can lower if you know that it's high, but right. it has to be checked. And it's rare to see that one it's checked. Ha- it's rare that we see anybody that's just went to the regular doctor that has not went to a functional medicine doctor and has had their homocysteine checked. It is right. rare. We it do see it rare. very occasionally, but not much. It's rare. Um, so I do think everybody needs to have it checked. That is another one of those genetic factors because people can be genetically prone to have high homocysteine. Mm-hmm. And some of the genetic mutations, especially when you start looking at the methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme. Right. It is one of the things that will predispose you to have high homocysteine. Right. And you still can get around it, though, even if it's genetic, even if you have the mutation, you definitely at that point have to supplement something we call 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. Which is part of the epigenetics, right? Right. And okay. that so with those. methylated B12 and a little betaine and a little, you know, I mean, there's a combination. We have B2, a product B6, that's actually that. called Methylcore. Mm-hmm. And the Methylcore is all the things you need to lower homocysteine. Right. And so that is, I have had people come in and, you know, they had already been on all the Alzheimer's drugs and all the, and I was like, have they checked their homocysteine? And when we check it, it is sky high. Yes. Now, the bad thing about homocysteine, a lot of the research shows that once you have the damage 
from really high homocysteine. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's hard to reverse it. I mean, you can you can Slow stop it. Slow it down and stop it. And mm-hmm. I've had people where their their decline has stopped. Mm-hmm. They stop declining, which of course is a plus. That's a good thing. But they don't necessarily always get it back. Because one of the things homocysteine does is harden the arteries in the brain. Yes. What well, hardens any arteries? Or, or all arteries. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because it also can lead to heart disease, mm, too. Sure but can. we're talking about brain today. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to reverse that. You know, so you want to find out young. If you're 40... Check your homocysteine. You don't have to be having heart problems yet to check it. And that's where the problem is, is usually we don't see people get it checked unless they're having heart problems. Most you of don't the, run away. Most of the time, you know, medicine in America today is one of those things that we wait. And, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, we're just going to watch it. Whatever's wrong. Well, we're just going to watch it. Watch it what until it gonna, gets bad enough. What we're going to do is we're going to watch it deteriorate. And when it gets really bad enough, we'll throw in the towel and say, oh, you've got such and such. Okay, great. But in the meantime, if you're smart, and I think most of the listeners to this podcast are probably higher intelligence than most, probably. Well, they're seeking out other you're information. For, right, you're looking for the truth somewhere. And when you think about it, you know, what it's, I don't look at it as, well, gee, that test cost so-and-so. That's an investment in your health. Right. You know, knowledge is power, and the only way to get that knowledge is to do that lab work. And, you know, that's why we stress it so much, because if you're 40 years old and you look around your family and you've got these dementias and stuff going on and heart disease and blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's get in here. Let's do some lab work. Let's find out what I've got to do to change my life and make it better and keep from having this dementia. And prevent it. Not wait until you get it. So homocysteine is a huge factor, and it is one that is very much overlooked. And it's not even checked once someone's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's a scary thing. I mean, there's a lot of research out there that has linked it together, Mm -hmm. and they don't even check it once somebody has been diagnosed with it. No. So it is something because there is not a drug that is being pushed. There is a drug they've developed, but it's vitamins because they've never found anything else that helps homocysteine other than vitamins. And because it can't be patented and charged a huge amount of money for, it's not worth it for the drug companies to push that drug. Right. And, you know, I I always think They make more money on the Alzheimer's drugs. Yeah. And if you... You know, have to take those. They're they're much better off money wise. So you really got to look at it yourself, and it is your own health. It doesn't matter if your insurance pays for it. Doesn't yeah. matter if somebody else pays for it. You're gonna pay for it eventually. You you sure if you are. don't prevent it. You know that that's the bad part about that. You know, sooner or later you'll pay for it yourself. I mean, I, we you don't know how often we hear. Well, my insurance. You know, I have in I have insurance for a reason. I'm like, yeah, insurance is to pay for sickness. You don't want to be sick. You want to be well. Right. Um, you have to pay for wellness. That's right. part of, you know, just it, you wanting to take care of your own health. You know, you have car insurance in case you get into a car wreck. Right. But they don't pay for your oil changes. Right. That's kind of the way you got to look at That's it. That's exactly But are you not way. ever going to put oil in your car because you say, well, my car insurance is not going to pay for this, so I'm just going to wait for it to break down? No, because they're not going to pay for that engine when it goes out either. And chances are they're not going to pay for that dementia. They can't right. possibly pay you back for that. So, so take care of yourself. That's the invest a little bit in your own health. Right. And you'll be better off in the long run. Right. I guess we need to recap things. Well, so. we, there's a few other things real oh. quick that we want to talk about. Okay. I'm not done yet. You're not done? <laughs> All right. Believe um, that. She's not done. She's still talking. Go okay. for it. Now, right. what else? I want to talk about some of the medications that are known and linked to Ooh. dementia and Alzheimer's yes. that you want to be aware of. Because, uh, you know, the thing is, is if you have this predisposition, you really want to pay attention before you start taking some of these medications. And these are common every day right. over Statins, the Statins, we've already mentioned. Yeah, we, we mentioned did mention that. that. But another one they're linking strongly 
with dementia is the PPIs, the proton pump inhibitors, your acid right. reducers. Nexium and Pepsi and all oh, that yeah. stuff. Well, yeah. one thing, you start looking and it inhibits a lot of your nutrients. And right. it also, they've actually shown that it affects the vascular system. And we talked about that in different podcasts as mm-hmm. well. And you can go back and it's one of the things that we talk about how it affects, you know, how it mm-hmm. is damaging to the body and go into detail on that. But your acid reducers, your statin drugs, actually your anticholinergics. Um, they've actually found yeah. that a lot of your stuff that people are using for bladder control mm-hmm. is making dementia. There are other things for bladder control. Like um, yes. for instance, right? Um Something as benign, people think, as diphenylhydramine hydrochloride or Benadryl. Benadryl, Benadryl is your yeah. name brand, but it's the chemical that's in a lot of these sleep aids. Um, when you start talking about the things that you know yes. people take just mm-hmm. over the counter, you know, and they take it every day. This PM, this this PM, all of it has diphenylhydramine hydrochloride, which has been shown to link to dementia. Right. So you you got to look at that now. Short term use that they're not talking about. They're talking about people that do it every day. And you we know, if, about, if you get bit to, by a wasp and you have to yes. take some Benadryl, that's okay. It's a day or two. You know, I mean, yeah. you're not doing it long term. But when you start talking about taking it long term, you are starting to talk about damage in the brain. You certainly are. And so look at your medications. A lot of medications are starting to come out as being linked to, um, you know, Dementias dementia. So now, right. one thing that a lot of people don't think about is a lot of antibiotic use mm-hmm. because there's no doubt there's a gut brain connection. Yeah. Back to Dr. Perlmutter. Right. Mm-hmm. Perlmutter has another book. Mm-hmm. Actually, that one's called, what is that book called? Um, uh, something about the brain. And it's the about gut, the brain yeah. gut axis mm-hmm. is that what it's about. Just look him up. Dr. David Perlmutter. Right. You know, he's got and it talks about how your beneficial bacteria plays a big role in brain mm-hmm. function and as well. And so you also talk about probiotics. Now, taking right. long-term antibiotics, taking antibiotics all the time damages it too so no doubt about you, it. you just don't think you know people just take a lot of medications and they're not thinking about what else it's doing to them so that's there another thing we, we wanted to point out right there's a lot of natural things you can do for these conditions where you might not have to take so much medication so that's kind of where we're here to help you figure out what you may need and how to help some of these problems without actually doing a lot of medications exactly. um you'll be healthier in the long run because i never see the people that come in in their 90s and the healthiest people that come in be on a list of drugs. No, typically, you know, we've, we've got 80 and 90 year olds that come in and are on no medications. No medications. And they're coming in, having blood work done to find out, you know, where they are. And they're taking their vitamins and they're they're very conscious about what they eat. They're very conscious about the food supply yeah. and so on and so forth. So, you know, th- that's the ones that you see that are 80 and maybe even into the 90s that don't take medications simply because they're aware that, well, you know, I've had them to tell me, well, I look around all my friends in my age group, they take 14 different medications and they're all basket cases. Right. And it's true. So it's you do want to look at that. Now, mm-hmm. some of the other things, vi- low vitamin D has been linked to Huge. dementia. Low B12 has been linked to dementia. Huge. Um, like high homocysteine. I mean, all those things can mm-hmm. be checked. Um, uh, right. High cholesterol is not linked to dementia. No. It's really not. So, Actually, the, now it, high triglycerides that's are different. That's different part story. of that insulin resistance thing. Different story. Actually, there's some studies that have been done over the years that show that, you know, statistical data that shows the people with the highest cholesterol have less mortality overall. Right. Think about so, that. Lowering the, the medical model today of just making your cholesterol go to nothing really is not 
increasing longevity. No. So you really have to look at that. And like I said, that's where we help you. We can help you with the lab work. We can help you decipher what it says and kind of help and make a program for you and, you know, kind of do some things. Now, we talked about the fish oil. Mm-hmm. We talked about vitamin D. We talked mm-hmm. about B12. There's a lot of nutrients that can just help brain function. It's not that you're deficient in them because, again, when you start talking about some things, some things like you, you're not going to be deficient in ginkgo biloba. It's an herb. Your body doesn't have to have it to work. But ginkgo has been shown to increase blood flow to the brain. Which is a good thing. Which is a good thing and does actually help with memory. Mm-hmm. You also have your phosphatidylserine, which mm-hmm. does help with the stress response as mm-hmm. well. You have the acetylocarnitine, mm-hmm. which is really good for the cellular energy mm-hmm. and especially for the brain. Um, so there's so many nutrients. Even melatonin has a new study yes. that shows that melatonin can actually help with prevention of Alzheimer's and dementia as well. It's exactly. not just for sleep. Um, melatonin has a lot of other functions in the body as well. And as people get older, that's another thing we haven't mentioned yet, sleep quality. Mm. Another thing linked strongly to dementia and Alzheimer's is not sleeping well. Yeah, and, you know, well, that's why they take the, you know, the They P- take the Benadryl, PM, which Benadryl yeah. makes them have more dementia, so right. it's not what you want to do for it. Right. So there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, mm-hmm. there are so many things you can do for prevention. I mean, we could probably talk all day. Like I said, I wasn't done yet. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you, you, there's so much that you can do to prevent the brain problems. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I guess that's the, the gist of this thing. You know, this is just kind of a primer, so to speak. You know, if, if you've got specific questions about your health, you know, you can always call us. Probably a little, uh, and also maybe, a, I mean, if you're saying, okay, well, I don't really have any problems now. I want something that actually might prevent. Mm-hmm. And we have a one-a-day multivitamin called yes. Megabytes One. It has 500 micrograms of B12. It has your methylated folate in it. It has a little CoQ10. It has your 2,000 vitamin D. Yes. I mean, those are, they're actually, even though it's a one a day, it's really high in those nutrients, which really can help brain function. If right. you did megabytes one, the our omega threes, which mm-hmm. are really high in EPA and DHA, mm-hmm. a really good probiotic, whether it be our Flora 5014 or 50 billion, um, yeah, Flora 50B, 50 billion, yeah. mm-hmm. and maybe Memory Core. Mm-hmm. That is like four products that you could do. That because memory core has the other nutrients we talked about that is actually beneficial for brain function. Like cocoa extract and so on. It has the mm-hmm. cocoa extract. It mm-hmm. has the ginkgo, the phosphatidylserine, mm-hmm. the acetylocarnitine. It's got all that. So, you know, you, those are four products that if you want to get on and order them, you can. And that can actually, if you don't want to do the lab work, I suggest doing lab work. And that way you get more tailored for you. But that's four products that are not going to hurt you. Now, you can't take the ginkgo if you're on a blood thinner. Right. And, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. If someone has TIAs, if somebody in their family has TIAs, and you're not on a blood thinner, natokinase. It is one of the best stroke preventions you can take. And actually, stroke prevention is also prevention of dementia. Yes, because the stroke actually destroys brain tissue. Little mild strokes could actually really damage things. So that natokinase has so much research on stroke prevention. And so when you start talking about dementia prevention, you want to talk, talk about stroke prevention. Right. So, but, you know, you do have to be careful if you're on a blood thinner. So I did want to mention if you're mm-hmm. on a blood thinner, a prescription blood thinner, then you might want to call and make sure what you're, that you can take what you, what we're suggesting. Yeah. I, I think the whole thing is, you know, if, if you've got questions and, you know, most people that listen to these things do, uh, call us, uh, contact us because, you know, you can call our, our 800 number. It's 800-824-0194. And, and actually talk to one of us. I promise you, we may be busy, but we'll call you back. Uh, we spend all day talking to people on the phone. So we're, we're used to it. We'll call you back, and you can actually have a one-on-one with one of us. And we'll help you, you know, decide what you need for your health. 
Because the name of the show is Live Healthy, Be Healthy, and that's what it's all about, living healthy and being healthy. Well, I think we covered it pretty well, Jane. Yeah, I think, I think we're, I, I'm done now. Start. You're done now? Okay. <laughs> when she's done talking. Or at least for it. today. At least for today. Okay. And for this, for this podcast, we're going to be done. Hopefully, you've got some really good information that can actually help you live healthy and be healthy. And for now, we'll sign off. We'll see you next time, folks. So long. And thanks for listening to Live Healthy, Be Healthy with Drs. Jim and Janine Fox, a presentation of Doctors Nutrition. Please call our toll-free customer service number, 1-800-824-0194, for more information or with any questions you may have. Find out more online. Log on to DoctorsNutrition.com. Find the archive of shows and articles at DoctorsNutritionMedia.com.